Welcome to Matriarch Rising, a podcast for the modern-day woman awakening to her soul's purpose while she journeys on the transformational path from maiden to mother to crone. My name is Arinda, and I am your podcast host. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Your support means the world. Thank you so much for being here. Hello and welcome to the Matriarch Rising Podcast. I am so glad you're back. And today I have a very special episode to share with you. It is my birthing story and I am equally as excited as I am nervous. I have not shared my birth story publicly before and not to the extent that I'm about to. So this has been a long time coming, and finally it is the day to do so, and the space to do so. So I consider my birthing story to be a positive birth story. And with that said, during this time of listening, I invite you to listen to your own nervous system. If throughout the share there is anything in you that feels triggered or that some strong emotions are coming up, I invite you to take a pause. And if at any point you feel like completely stopping to listen, then please do honor that. Birthing stories can be very vulnerable shares, very raw. And especially if you are expecting or planning and desiring to become pregnant or soon to give birth, this is extra important that you Only listen to birthing stories that inspire you and that make you feel positive about your own upcoming birth. So without further ado, this is my birthing story. It was Sunday evening, February 14, 2021, when it started to snow outside in Austin, Texas, where I live. And by the next day, Monday morning, on February 15, everything was covered in this white, fluffy snow, and the streets had frozen over. This was very uncommon for Austin, for this amount of snow and such low temperatures. And by that morning, most of the city had lost electricity, including our neighborhood. (laughs) That was quite a crazy time. So early that Monday morning afternoon, my partner and husband, Seth, started to build a snowman in our front yard. I made us some hot drinks, and my mother was also with us at that time. So we all went on a walk with our little dog, Cookie, around the neighborhood block, and I could feel my belly sitting quite low. Although not feeling uncomfortable, it was just feeling very heavy. At this time, I was 38 weeks and 6 days pregnant. My mom had even commented on the fact that when she saw me coming downstairs that morning, my belly was sitting very, very low. And I mentioned that we still have nearly a week until the expected birth date, so I wasn't worried about it. But something in her, she felt the urge to clean up the house, to cook some food, and start to prepare. Bless her heart. She knew something was coming up. So the rest of the afternoon, we played a long game of Austinopoly, which is the Austin version of Monopoly, and I won. (laughs) And we still did not have electricity, um, so we were lighting up the house with LED candles and fire in a fireplace. Later that evening, we sat by the fireplace and had a candlelit dinner eating the soup that my mom had made and drinking some delicious hot cocoa that Seth had prepared. As I was preparing for bed around 10.30 p.m., 
on that Monday morning, or Monday evening, rather, I went to the master bedroom, to the bathroom to pee. And after peeing for quite some time, <laughs> I started to think, um, uh-oh, could this be amniotic fluid? I wasn't feeling anything or any sensations. It was just like normally going to the bathroom, number one. <laughs> but after a few minutes of this going on, I decided to call my mom to come over. She was in the bedroom taking care of something, and I asked her to go get Seth, who was in the other room. I could feel and see the fear and the excitement entangled within my own heart when I saw Seth and I saw his face and his reaction when I told him what's going on. We still had no electricity, and it kept snowing outside. And now my waters had broken, <laughs> indicating that labor, the birthing process, could start any time within the next 12 to 24 hours. So much for the week that I thought I still had <laughs> to the birthing date. We collected about 10 ounces of those fluids so we can inspect it and um, check with the midwife. We had planned to have a birthing team consisting of uh, one or two midwives. They were a team of two, so possibly both of them would be coming over, as well as a birthing doula and a birthing photographer. And obviously Seth and my mom, although I wasn't planning to have my mom in the actual birthing space. Now I'll go into more detail later about who was actually present during birth. So we reached out to our primary midwife by phone and text, and she suggested that we reach out to the other midwife, the backup midwife, who lived closer to us, so she could possibly come over to see me in person and test the liquids that we had collected. So after we texted her a photo of the liquids, the backup midwife confirmed that that would be amniotic fluid, so the waters. But since I didn't have any other symptoms, she said it wasn't necessary for her to actually come over. So she suggested that I just get some rest. And so we prepared for bed and my mom was going to sleep in the other room and Seth and I sleep in the master bedroom together. After going to sleep around midnight, I woke up with some really deep cramping that was nearly taking my breath away. It was so strong that it woke me up. And those were the first contractions. They had officially started, which is also considered the first stage of the birthing process. They felt so intense for being early contractions compared to all that I had heard and read about from the countless birth stories I'd been listening to for months and months. Side note, I love birth stories to this day. I still listen to them. I just love filtering them because birth stories can be a wide range of stories. And I like to fill my head with positive ones. So I rode those pressure waves, which is another word I like to use for contractions. They feel more like pressure waves. And I rode them for a while by myself in bed, just trying to be quiet and not to wake up Seth. It was still midnight. It was still early in the night. And they were literally taking my breath away from the intensity. So after about an hour or so, I thought maybe I should measure these to see if there is a pattern in their timing and their length. And they were just under two minutes long and they were happening about five or six minutes apart, indicating that I was still in early labor. It was just a really intense early labor. And so eventually <laughs> Seth woke up uh, from my groaning and shuffling and he looked at me and asked, 
are you having contractions? <laughs> and without me even having to answer that, because it was quite obvious, he started to wake up to be with me in support. And as the intensity was only going up, I started to move around the bedroom, trying to find new ways to ride the waves and seek some relief. We had put up the cards from the birthing deck that I had acquired with the various laboring positions and things to do to support a birthing person. And we had those up on display on a painting in the wall of our bedroom. And though the room was barely lit by the LED candles and I was having a hard time focusing my eyes to actually see the cards. It was quite dim. And we tried a few things. Seth was trying to push on the sides of my hips, which helps push the sacroiliac bone space closer together, which can bring some relief. And um, we also tried to, to hold on to each other and sway side to side. And I was trying to hold on most of my weight on him. But the cramps were so intense that all I could handle was just being on my four, my hands and knees, and uh, lower down to our child's pose and just moan. Now, by this point, my mom had woken up <laughs> from the sounds and came into the room trying to help. Now, mind you, none of us had done this before, aside from my mom having her own two births, me and my sister. Uh, but it was quite different, different times, different set and settings, and hers were hospital births. I learned later <laughs> that she had asked Seth at some point <clears throat> if we should consider going to the hospital. <laughs> he had assured her that what I wanted was to give birth at home. This was my plan. I was very adamant about having a home birth and avoiding the hospital at all costs unless an absolute true emergency called for a transfer. And I'd done a lot of research on this, nine plus months of research, and had a very healthy, non-complicated pregnancy, which gave me the confidence to be committed to and advocate for my home, home birth plan. So overall, she seemed in support of this and looked calm, which I really needed that. I needed everybody around me to support my plan and my desire and advocate for me if needed. Originally, we had planned to have a birth doula in addition to the midwife, as well as a birth photographer. Unfortunately, neither the doula nor the photographer could make it due to the weather conditions. My photographer was communicative and quite apologetic about the situation, having to miss my birth. And although I felt a lot of sadness and grief around that, I understood her situation considering the circumstances and deeply appreciated that she communicated that with me in the right time. However, my birth doula was not reachable at all, at all, until way later, the next day after the birth was completed. And we had called and messaged her multiple times from the beginning. Even in her communication thereafter, she was kind of short and not even apologetic about it. So I felt a lot of strong emotions about this during labor when we could not reach her and grieved about this for a while that I was not receiving the birth support that I'd planned for when she had offered that to us. To me, this was completely unacceptable because we were still within two weeks time window of the estimated birth date. And within that time, the entire birthing team should have been available on call 24-7, as our plans stated, as our agreements stated. And since the bad weather was predicted days ahead, everyone should have had a plan B 
for communication and everything and to, a way to stay in touch. And everyone else did except for the doula. And so this lack of communication and support followed by abandonment and lack of accountability on her, on her end made me feel really, really, really disappointed because I'd felt connected with her during our initial in-person meeting. And now all of a sudden she was nowhere to be reached. And this also brought some grief in my postpartum experience. And it took me months to process. I will talk about my postpartum another time, but for now, after this experience, when I was able to process it and come out the other end, I found a whole new level of appreciation for my mom. She stepped into that doula role, even though she had never done this before. And initially she was not even going to be in the birthing space as our birth plan was laid out. And our relationship deepened so much from this experience that I am ultimately grateful that things unfolded the way that they did. By now, it was around 3.30 a.m. And my contractions were measuring at about five minutes long, going on about five minutes apart. Seth was the one measuring them because I was already in birthland in that mental space where time, linear time as we know it, does not really exist. They had been going on for over three hours at this point, but we had not been counting them consistently. This birth was already unfolding completely different from what I'd planned. I had planned for a water birth at home with a birthing team consisting of a midwife, a doula, a birth photographer, and my partner, and also my mom in the house, not in the actual birthing room. And obviously the water birth part was completely off plan because, well, first of all, <laughs> we didn't have electricity. So warming the space and the water was definitely a big challenge. Thankfully, we had a fire and gas burning fireplace and a gas stove and oven. So those both came very, very, very handy to help make this home birth happen. Ultimately, the only thing I could still hold on to was that I was birthing at home as I wanted. Now, by nearly 6 a.m., Seth was communicating with our backup midwife who lived pretty close to us. And while on the phone, she had heard my sounds during contractions and she had commented to Seth that those were great sounds. <laughs> Whatever that means, I sounded like a wild animal, I think. <laughs> but when a midwife mentions that contraction sounds are good sounds, that means that labor is progressing and the cervix is dilating, which you want that to happen in order for the baby to come out. And without getting too detailed on that, uh, a woman's cervix goes from, <laughs> well, from the normal size that it is to 10 centimeters open in order for a baby's head to come through. So we had no idea how far dilated I was at that point, but it just meant that I was progressing. And on the other end of the spectrum, the midwife's driveway was also frozen and she did not feel comfortable driving in the snow to come over to our house. So that was a problem because she was our backup midwife. <laughs> so Seth arranged to go pick her up. And even though it was crazy outside with the frozen streets and people not really knowing how to drive in that weather, in his words, driving in the Montana winters, which is where we lived for many, many years before, prepared him for this day. How amazing. <laughs> so when Seth left to pick up our midwife, who lived less than 15 minutes, 15 minutes away from us, I was left with my mom and had to get up to go to the bathroom and throw up. <laughs> 
there's a lot of bodily fluids involved in a birth if you have not caught that already <laughs> um but yeah throwing up that happens sometimes too i had eaten dinner before not that much and i'd not eaten or drank much since then but i had to get it out and there wasn't much in there since i'd eaten lightly but the urge was strong and so after cleaning up uh, my mom went somewhere else in another room and to take care of something and so i was left completely alone for a short moment and going through those contractions by myself. That was quite a special time. It was a very, very unique experience to be completely alone going through those pressure waves. And as it started, it was still continuing to just keep getting more and more intense. And so the experience was feeling outwardly is the best way I can describe it. I was starting to see kaleidoscopic images as if I was experiencing some sort of a psychedelic journey. I was getting there. And just for fractions moment, fractions of moments, I felt kind of removed from my physical pain and simply observant of the situation. This is really difficult to really describe with words what i was actually experiencing somatically mentally emotionally spiritually <laughs> all i can say is that birth is the wildest journey <laughs> ever my body i know that my body was kneeling on the floor in front of the rocking chair and i was holding on to the seat facing down but somehow my viewpoint was from above my body as if a projection of my mind, my heart, my being was shot up from a bird's eye view. And I was seeing the entire thing unfolding. And even though I was in pretty much agonizing pain, I was also just watching this without really feeling that pain. Um, and instead just seeing this beautiful <laughs> kaleidoscopic imagery. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> I can't say that it was pleasant by any means, but it was just intense and strange. And I have no idea how long this went on. Like I said, linear time was non-existent in my mind in that experience. But I know that once my mom returned and she helped me get set up comfortable and warm in the rocking chair, all of that went away. I was straight back in my body feeling those contractions hitting me like a truck. And at that point, I started to realize how cold I was since the house temperature was probably around 40 degrees or so. We had that wood burning and gas fireplace but that was downstairs and we were at this point in our master bedroom upstairs which is a bit of a large space and we didn't really have any heating element in there we just had a ton of blankets and i was dressed in several sweaters and i think hat and socks and everything i could wear on me so it was quite cold in there and later on i learned that outside was around zero degrees fahrenheit that night so my mom piled up some more blankets on me. She probably had gone fetching all the blankets from the house. And so I tried to ride those pressure waves just seated in the rocking chair for a bit. And at some point, Seth and the midwife arrived and the midwife came upstairs in the bedroom, very, very gently entered the room. And then she started to coach me through acting as a doula. I'm sure she had plenty of experience doing that. This was a very, very seasoned midwife and she had done thousands of home births. <laughs> so that was a very comforting thing to know. And we had communicated very well about my birth plan and how I wanted to have a home birth. And she was in full support of that. So I quickly felt as if I could ride those waves way more calmly and manageably with her soft voice guiding me through, encouraging me to breathe. She was just so soft and soothing to listen to. And the candlelight 
it was, I think, LED candles at this point, but they were flickering and the house was quiet. There was no electronics or even vehicle sounds outside. It was just very, very peaceful. I could start to feel these moments of peace just settle in my body amongst all the whirlwind that was going on inside of me with this baby coming down my birth canal eventually. It was crazy. And obviously still I had no idea of the time at this point. And also we had blackout curtains in the bedroom, so I could not see, I could not tell whether it was starting to get light out. Eventually, the midwife said that based on the sounds I was making, she thought that I'd progressed significantly and she asked to do a cervical check on me to get a better idea. At first, I did not want to get checked at all. Um, but after a little bit, I decided to go ahead with that and let her. But I asked her not to tell me a number and the number being those centimeters dilated. I did not want that number, knowing how much or how little my cervix had dilated, I didn't want that number to get in my head and affect my process, my progress. I was concerned that I would have, I would have been going on throughout all of this intensity and that <clears throat> this could just be the beginning of a much longer and intense process. To my surprise, it was quite the opposite. <clears throat> Excuse me. Without telling me the actual number, after checking me, she said, oh, wow, we're having a baby. <laughs> That's a wonderful thing to hear. As uncomfortable as the checking was, that statement brought me so much relief. And days later, once I got to see the birthing log, the midwife keeps a log, I learned that at that point, my cervix was nine centimeters dilated and you only need to go to 10 centimeters to give birth, to push really. And I found that reading that birth log that the midwife kept throughout the entire birth was fascinating. This might just be me, but I was fascinated reading that. And it was interesting to read that as I was reliving my birth, from a completely external perspective. Obviously much more technical, but also very informative. After the check, the midwife suggested that we move downstairs to the living room so we could be in front of the fireplace and get warmer. So she asked Seth to go take care of the fire and my mom to prepare the space, to bring down all the blankets and the home birth kit, etc. And that home birth kit included all the supplies that you need to give birth at home. Now, as a home birth midwife with many, many, many years and many, many, many births under her belt, she also had brought a bunch of her own medical supplies, including things like oxygen tank and IV fluids, etc., just in case of emergency needed. She knew how set I was on my home birth plan and was in full support of it. I chose wise with that one. <laughs> I barely remember coming downstairs supported by her, but once we did get there, um, we set me up on the floor in front of the fireplace and I tried different positions. For a bit, I rode the pressure waves holding on, kneeled on the floor in front of the rocking chair and other times getting on all four and whatnot. My mom was helping me trying to feel supported, rubbing my back, which felt really, really nice. And eventually I remember moving to the birthing stool, which was another thing the midwife has brought. And at this time I had my back against the fire and the midwife was in front of me on the floor. And Everything just felt so uncomfortable. I could not get comfortable at all. It was also very cold in the house, even though I was in front of the raging fire. At some point, the midwife told me that by now, if I had the urge to push, that I could and I should. And eventually I did start. And this was the beginning of the three plus hours of 
the pushing process, which is also the second stage of the birthing process. By now, it must have been somewhere around 9 a.m. or so. I have no idea. I continued to try various pushing positions and eventually got settled at the base of the birthing stool, facing the fire this time, with the midwife in front of me on the floor and Seth behind me seated on the couch at the edge, holding my back and my arms while my feet were pressing against the midwife's knees or legs for leverage with pushing. And meanwhile, my mom was moving around a lot, helping support the midwife with whatever she needed, and also approaching me every now and then, trying to support me, bringing me water and tea and electrolyte drinks, etc. I don't remember drinking much of it, but I remember she was bringing them to me often. And Seth had set up his phone on the tripod and placed it a few feet away facing me. Now, even though I had asked him to record the birth, I felt really strange having this camera looking at me while I was in such a vulnerable state. It was the weirdest thing. I wanted that video and I also did not want to be recorded. I felt similar also at times about my mom being present and witnessing me in such a raw, wide open, physically, <laughs> emotionally, spiritually, everything. Even though she had done this herself and had pushed me out of her own body. I just felt, I felt really exposed and uncomfortable, but also did not have the capacity anymore to communicate needs or boundaries. When you are in that birthland, words just don't really work as well. Also, I needed the support and I wanted to have this experience on video. It was, it was such an odd place to be between the desire and the need and the physical and emotional experience. Ultimately, I'm very grateful for both things, my mom being there and that video being recorded. Even though those contractions were really intense, I can easily say that the pushing process was by far the hardest, the most uncomfortable thing I've ever experienced in my life. And something funny and a little TMI ahead, during pregnancy, when I would get constipated, which is very common in pregnancy, I would joke that the process of going number two was preparing me for pushing out this baby later on. Now, that was partially true and also barely not even close to the actual baby pushing experience. Now, looking back, my body had started to clean my GI tract the previous day, maybe the previous couple days, which is also a very natural process preparing the body for birth. And after pushing for quite some time, the midwife started to assist me manually by putting pressure to a very specific point in the birthing canal for me to focus my pushing efforts and concentrate my energy there. And this was really uncomfortable. I cannot emphasize it enough. It was so uncomfortable but it was actually effective. Again, one of those things. It turned out I had a minor cervical lip that was being pulled down by the baby's head and making the pushing harder than really it needed to be. And also later we found out that the umbilical cord was quite short which was causing the baby to retract, you know? You hear sometimes in birth stories when they say, or the mom says that pushing the baby down, the baby was going back up. Well, that's what was happening. Nearly three hours later of this process, I was starting to feel so exhausted. Remind you, this was an unmedicated birth. There were no painkillers or anything like that. I'd not taken even nothing natural or no uh, 
no herbs, no tinctures, nothing really to, to help. And if I would have had that water birth that I'd planned for, I had read and heard that being in the warm water helps the body relieve a little bit of the pain. But that was not my experience, unfortunately. <laughs> this baby decided to be born in a raw, crazy, wild, ancestral way. And that was our birth story unfolding. I remember at some point when I was feeling so exhausted and getting to the point of saying that I was tired and I can't do it anymore, which they say, they say that's the point when you are so, so close to the baby coming out. I remember Seth whispering in my ear, you're already doing it, sweetheart. It was the best thing I could hear. He snuggled me from behind, holding my back and arms the entire time. And he continued to whisper on and off words of encouragement and continued to offer me water and whatever other drink my mom was bringing to the side table. Even though I could barely drink anything, it was just so calming to my nervous system to have that support. At some point, I was the one vocalizing, come baby, come, come on baby, come out. I am ready for you. And I barely remember this, um, but later on when I watched the video, I could see myself kind of whispering, saying those words. And the midwife had also told me that I was doing that. And at times, another uh, little psychedelic experience, <laughs> At times, I was feeling like I was almost leaving my body, although I could still feel all the intense sensations. I was feeling like this time was a moment of the maiden in me, the, the person I was before becoming a mother, starting to die. It's, I know it sounds really strange, but I was feeling a sense of dying sense of the maiden in me dying to allow the mother in me to be born. I felt like, <laughs> like I was visiting the underworld to lay her to rest. And I was visiting the stars to find my baby soul. This was so surreal. And I know it sounds pretty crazy to say it out loud, but those moments between contractions, even though they would feel like going like they were going on forever never ending there were just moments in time beyond time even with all the intensity though i never really questioned my choice to give birth at home at some point the midwife offered me to use the oxygen mask which i felt was really uncomfortable so i did not end up using it for that long and eventually she told me <laughs> to touch the baby's top of the head that was sticking out. And I did. My God, I remember it like now, my fingertips touching this wet, warm, squishy thing. That was my baby in the process of coming out of my body. It was so trippy. And that was the most magical feeling that fueled me up for the rest of the birth. So forget the oxygen mask. Feeling the baby's head got me that extra strength and focus for the home run. I was ready and determined to birth this baby. And that baby was ready to come out, so ready. The midwife was also coaching me to deepen my voice. As I was vocalizing a lot, I was starting to scream in really high pitch. And actually, the lower pitch helps soften the muscles and focus the energy downward to push that baby out. So several pushes later, the baby's head was fully born. And... I definitely felt that ring of fire. If you've ever heard of the ring of fire during birth or have experienced it yourself, it is freaking intense. It is so uncomfortable. And the best way I can describe it is, not to scare anyone, <laughs> a deeply burning, painfully stretching, never-ending 
sensation. But it did end. It did pass eventually as the head was born. And thank goodness I did not tear at all. Um, at some point, my mom commented how the baby was born <laughs> and that he's so beautiful. And I was, I was in shock. But my midwife said, almost. This was just the head being born, right? And she encouraged me to give another push. And I have no idea how many more pushes I gave. But eventually, since the time was not linear, eventually he was completely out. And the midwife said, here is your baby and placed him on my belly right away. Oh my goodness. I remember it now. And his umbilical cord was too short to reach all the way up to my chest. So midwife set him on my belly and both Seth and I grabbed his bare body to hold him. And the very first thing that came out of my mouth when I saw him was, oh my God, <laughs> he was the most beautiful and precious thing I'd ever seen. And I felt immediately so in love, so, so, so in love. He was perfect. And we already knew that he was a boy as we had find, found out on that 20-week anatomy scan ultrasound because Seth really wanted to know. I did not want it to find out until birth, but Seth wanted to, so I honored that. Now, at this point, really time completely stopped. I was holding and staring at our baby and nothing, nothing else mattered. I referred to him as our baby since we had not named him yet. At that point, he had not made any sounds coming out, but he was pink purple with a lot of vernix all over, so kind of white. <laughs> and vernix is that thick and white coat that babies have on their skin when they're born, and it's like a thick protector barrier for, for them, and it's very, very moisturizing. So you don't really, really need to clean that out. You can leave it on the baby for the first few days. And so I was holding him bare skin to skin, and the midwife grabbed a towel and started to rub him down only to get the circulation going and get his reflexes activated because it was still pretty cold in the room. Now, I'd read that wild mamas and mammals, by, by wild mamas, I mean mammals, will do this by licking their babies. So their rough tongue acts as the towel that I'm talking about. So eventually he cried and it was the sweetest sound to my ears. So the midwife wrapped him I wrapped a muslin, muslin cloth around him, just keeping him on my belly, bare skin. And I wanted nothing else done at this time. I just wanted to hold him. This was the golden hour I had planned for, that skin-to-skin -skin contact with my baby for the very first time. And I was flying high on the deepest love, the deepest love I'd ever felt and the biggest amount of oxytocin that my body had ever created. If you're not familiar, oxytocin is known as the love hormone, and our bodies make it normally when we touch and hold and kiss others we love. During the birthing process, the body makes the most amount of oxytocin a birthing person will ever have experienced. And amongst other processes, it helps the body also create and go through those contractions, the pressure waves. It helps the mother bond with the baby once born, and it, it's just a beautiful hormone. Now, on a side note, the artificial form of this hormone, the lab-made hormone, is called pitocin. You might have heard of it. It is administered in during hospital births to encourage contractions at times when natural contractions kind of stall or stop. And oftentimes they get too intense to handle without any form of pain management medication. 
And oftentimes, this contributes to what is called the cascade of interventions in hospital births. And it is one of the many reasons I was very against the idea of a hospital birth. I am forever grateful to my body that it worked with me the way it worked on having this birth unmedicated at home without any complications. I am forever grateful. Back to the birth story. <laughs> Even though I wanted nothing else but to continue holding my baby, my newborn, the placenta also needed to be born. <laughs> you know, that organ that the body grows out of nowhere to help sustain that baby for nine months. This is called the third stage of the birthing process, the birth of the placenta. So while holding him, I was supported to lay completely on the couch on my back. And at that point, um, I had my baby laying on my body, still not able to reach all the way to my nipples because of the short umbilical cord. But at some point here, the phone that was recording the birth video died at a battery. I was really bummed, but also I was kind of grateful <laughs> that it was done and really grateful that it made it through the actual birthing process. One of the many things in my birth plan that I'd communicated with the midwife was that I wanted a well-delayed cord clamping. So this is the process of clamping and cutting the umbilical cord for the baby, separating the baby from the placenta. And up to one third of the baby's blood is still in the placenta upon birth. So the delaying process of the cord clamping and cutting allows for that blood to fully transfer to the baby, which is extremely beneficial for their health. So I'd requested that and we were still attached. My baby was on my belly, my placenta was inside of me and they were attached to that cord. Meanwhile, the midwife was, clear, was cleaning me up and preparing me for the birth of the placenta. My contractions had stopped completely at this point, which is not great because you still need some contractions to birth the placenta. And I think about 45 or so minutes later, we decided to clamp and cut the cord so I could bring him up closer to my nipples. And so the midwife could work, have more leverage to work with the placenta without affecting the baby. And Seth was the one to cut the cord to separate the baby from the placenta. And I'm so grateful that my mom was able to record this moment. So the cord was cut and then we pulled our baby closer up to my nipples. So even though he was up by my nipples at this point, he still could not latch. He did not really latch right away as I was hoping for. And I'd read all about that importance of baby latching. It seemed like he could not for some reason. And eventually later on, way later, when the midwife inspected him, doing all the usual newborn checks and measurements, she told us that he had a serious tongue tie all the way to the tip of his little tongue. So this seriously affected his ability to latch, to attach his mouth to the nipple. And so eventually, this was quite painful on my nipples since his gums were rubbing on eventually when he latched. And this was something that we had to take action on as soon as possible after birth because it was affecting our breastfeeding. And that's a whole other story I'm going to share sometime in the future, our breastfeeding journey. But we did have to seek out a pediatric dentist specializing in tongue tie revisions. And so since we had to do this as soon as possible, I think we did this on day six 
But as I said, that's another story to tell. Now, while holding my baby on my chest, after the cord was cut, the midwife was working on trying to help me birth a placenta since it did not seem to have, since I did not have any contractions. She was gently, very gently tugging the cord a little bit, which I was a little nervous. She knew what she was doing and I was well focused on the baby. So I was just trusting her. And meanwhile, I was trying to push without contractions, which doesn't feel very effective. After those three plus hours of pushing this baby, my body just felt done pushing. And it was almost starting to feel a little numb down there. So this was quite uncomfortable, but eventually the placenta came out and it was all intact, nothing, no damage, nothing burst in there. And the midwife showed me the two sides of it. It was so fascinating to get the placenta tour. The baby side of the placenta looks like this intricate design with three large veins that make it look like a tree and they call it the tree of life. And then the mother side of the placenta looks more like a giant blood clot because that's the side that's attached to the body and now was detached and it looked kind of like raw meat. <laughs> now my plan was to consume my own placenta, which is very nutritious and beneficial to help balance those postpartum hormones. So I had my midwife take the placenta with her to encapsulate it and she delivered it back to us, I think by day two. So I started taking those capsules right away and I did feel like it made me, it helped me feel more balanced overall. Now, eventually the midwife took Sky to weigh him, measure him, get him dressed and done all of that while I was still laying on the couch. This part, it still feels kind of hazy also because there was no more video recording of this. So my memory at this point was kind of just really, really hazy after going through all of that process and just focusing on the baby. I don't remember much of the other details, but I do remember that she gave him to Seth to hold for the first time. And this was such a magical moment to witness. And I feel so grateful that my mom took a video of this process. This very, very precious moment. And our baby was crying from all the shuffle and the clothes. <laughs> I'm sure he wanted to be naked. So Seth started to ohm to him. And that calmed him right away. We continued to ohm to him for the next few months when he would cry. And it worked for many of the times when he was little. So after holding him for a little while, it was my mom's turn to hold her very first grandchild for the very first time after witnessing him being born. And this was also a very, very special moment. And I feel so grateful that we have photos of this as well. After that, Seth took the baby to hold him closer to the fireplace and just witnessing them from the couch where I was laying, looking at the two of them by the fireplace. It was such a beautiful sight. And I remember I started to cry at some point. <laughs> now, the entire birth from beginning of the first stage to the end of the third stage lasted just over 12 hours, although it felt like a lifetime. And for first time births, this is actually really good timing, kind of on the short side of timing. So it was, it was really nice in comparison to some other births that I've heard that are really long. This was a short and intense birth. And this last part after the third stage, I wish had unfolded a little different as it brought up a lot of discomfort that could have potentially been avoided. By now, I'd lost quite a bit of blood 
and I was feeling weak and lightheaded. I also hadn't been drinking much fluids, even though I was offered them often and I had not had peed since the birth had started. I tried getting up to pee, but fainted. So the midwife helped me back on the couch and she had to use a catheter to help me empty my bladder since I could not get up. And then she helped administer a hydrating IV, which turned out to be very uncomfortable because the fluid in the IV bag was really, really cold from the temperature of the room. So these two experiences, the catheter and the IV, in addition to the roller coaster of hormones shifting really drastically after birth, triggered some serious body shakes that were both physically and mentally very challenging. And I'd heard of the body shakes after birth, but I was not prepared for something like that. And even though I had every single blanket <laughs> in the house piled up on me, I was still feeling like an icicle. My, my body temperature just could not regulate. The temperature in the house was somewhere around maybe 40 to 50 degrees. And even though the fire was still going on, our living room is quite like large with tall ceilings and it's difficult to heat with just the fireplace. So I wish this process had not been part of my birth experience. But once it was over, I was able to recover soon after that and eventually I was supported to transfer onto the rocking chair to be closer to the fire and hold my baby, which definitely helped me regulate my emotions better. It had started to become dark outside by this point, and I think the time was probably around five or so. And by now, my mom, Seth, and the midwife had cleaned up everything in the living room where the birth had happened for the last half plus day. <laughs> so it was time for the midwife to go. Um, Seth had to drive her back to her home and my mom brought me a bowl of warm oatmeal to eat. And it was so nourishing to just receive that warm food. And then she went to the, um, we had a, an extra room downstairs in the space where I was just on the other end. So she went to prepare it to, for us to spend our first night because that room was smaller and easier to heat up and also did not require me having to go up the stairs to our master bedroom, which was quite challenging after birth. So while everyone was gone, this was the first time that I was alone with my baby in my arms. He was asleep, so I held him for some time, just staring at his beautiful little face, most precious thing I'd ever seen. And then eventually I was really, I was feeling how exhausted and sleepy I was. So I set him down on the little baby lounger on the coffee table right in front of me. But I could not take my eyes away from him. <laughs> Even while eating that oatmeal that my body was thanking me for, I just kept staring at him. It was such a surreal moment. The two of us in front of the fire that kept us alive while I journeyed what felt like to the underworld and across the universe and back to reunite with his little eternal soul, my baby, my precious little baby. And I was now a mama. I was now his mama. I took a quick photo of him on my phone that I still cherish to this day, that first photo that I took and eventually fell asleep in the rocking chair, witnessing the most beautiful, precious thing I'd ever seen. Life was never going to be the same. My sunshine was born on Tuesday, February 16, 2021, 
at 12, 12 p.m. in our home. And I was reborn as a whole new woman. I was now a mother. And this, my friends, was my birthing story. My baby, whose name is Sky, is now 22 months and pure joy, pure joy and energy. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to listen to this podcast episode. If you know someone who is expecting a baby and having a birth soon, if they would like to listen to a positive home birth, please do share this story with them. I truly hope that by me sharing this, it can bring some inspiration, joy, and hope to their upcoming birth. Thanks again for tuning in. Please do come back next week for another episode of the Matriarch Rising Podcast. Sending you so much love from my heart to yours. 